The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Uh, we are continuing in our series, it's called Fruit of the Spirit, where we are taking an in-depth look at the nine divine attributes or characteristics that should be present and growing in the lives of those who belong to Jesus. These fruit of the Spirit are not something that we try to grow and cultivate by willpower alone. Uh, It's only possible for us to walk in them to the degree we submit ourselves to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And this is really what it means to walk by the Spirit. For us to acknowledge that we are like blind men who need to be led by the hand and trusting God to faithfully lead us into what is best for us. Now, some of you may say, well, I think that's a bad faith confession. We just sang about healing blind eyes. I don't know if I like that you just said we're like blind men. Well, dear friend, what I would push you to think about is, uh, yes, Jesus absolutely does have the power to and did on many occasions heal blind eyes physically, but when we're talking about healing the blindness of spiritual eyes, really what Jesus is doing is opening our eyes to see our great need for him. That's what the whole arc of the Bible story is doing. That's what the Ten Commandments were for, was to show Israel they could not be perfect on their own, and they needed grace. They needed atonement outside of themselves. And so the whole story of the Bible is pushing us to that summary statement Jesus makes in John 15, that uh, he's divine, we're the branches, apart from him we can do nothing. And so what open spiritual eyes understand is that you are blind and you need Jesus. Amen. So thus far, as we've journeyed through these through the Spirit, we've studied love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. So that means this week we're going to be looking at the fruit of gentleness. So we're going to read Galatians 5, 16 through 24. Here we go. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Praise God for his word. Amen. Gentleness is often mistaken for weakness. Nothing could be farther from the truth. As a matter of fact, it takes great strength to walk in the fruit of gentleness. See, anybody can find someone or something weaker than them to dominate. But gentleness is all about the proper distribution and use of strength. I'm wondering if this has happened to anybody else. Has any of you ever been bitten 
either by a dog or a person. I'm thinking of a person. I've been bitten by both, actually, unfortunately. I guess I have worse luck than most of you. Um, but my mom, when I was a kid, did an in-home daycare. And I remember when I was 11 or 12, one of the little girls, she couldn't have been maybe three or four. Her name was Kylie. She got mad at me. I don't know why. I can't remember the details of that. But I do remember that she got mad, and she came over. I wasn't paying attention. She toddled up, and she bit me in the thigh so hard that it left an imprint. I'm telling you, if you would have poured wax into it, you could have made dentures out of it. You could have, that could have been a good enough mark to set for braces. This, I mean, you could have made a mouth guard for sure. This hurt, man. It, was, it had to have been close to blood. And that hurt pretty bad. But, and I'm sure she's just a little child, so her mouth strength probably wasn't even to this point. The average human bite is around 162 pounds per square inch of pressure, okay? So that's how a bite is measured, by PSI. Now, if you look at a Nile crocodile, on the other hand, so average human's 162. Some of us husky boys, maybe closer to 200. That's probably where I'm at. Uh, a Nile crocodile is 5,000 pounds per square inch when it bites, okay? That's the same pressure that the jaws of life use to cut through steel frames and doors in cars to try to rescue people. 5,000 PSI of pressure in that crocodile's mouth. Yet, if you're somebody that's given to watching a little Nat Geo in your downtime, or maybe, I mean, maybe you've been over to the Nile, I don't know, but you can, you can see videos readily of mother crocodiles carrying their babies in those jaws in the very same jaws that have enough strength to crush bones with ease, they're cradling little baby crocs. Not the shoes. Crocodiles. I shouldn't have said that. Some of you... Hold on, I've never seen that video. <laughs> Me either. But this idea that this mother crocodile with 5,000 pounds per square inch of power in those jaws is holding little baby crocodiles, that is the idea behind gentleness. It's that ability to distribute and control the use of power in a gentle way. So what I want to do with you tonight is look at four practical applications of gentleness from the scriptures, okay? The first, I'm drawing from Matthew 11, verse 29. The first is gentleness with yourself. And here's what I want you to think about. There is a difference between healthy self-criticism and destructive self-condemnation. Let's hear from Jesus on this. Matthew 11, verse 29 he says this, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay. Now, as we've talked throughout this series, I, I've spent more time on other weeks. Hopefully, this is becoming kind of a baseline thing you, you understand. Our hope to walk in any of the fruit of the Spirit is all predicated upon the fact that God in himself, in his character, already exhibits perfectly these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Here we find ourselves talking about gentleness. Is God gentle? Well, we know that Jesus is the perfect expressed image of God. We see that in Colossians and Hebrews. We know that Jesus represents God perfectly. And here Jesus, in his self-declaration here, says, and he's kind of the only one that gets to stand up and say, I am gentle and humble. <laughs> uh, take my yoke, right? But it's Jesus, so he gets to do it. He says, I'm gentle and humble in heart. You're going to find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you. And so the question we want to ask ourselves, first of all, is, is God gentle? Yes. Sometimes people wouldn't think of him that way, but that means we have misunderstood something. Uh, 
Uh, not that he is not gentle. So what is his yoke? First of all, let me just clarify this. I realize many of you already know this, but um, yoke here is not like egg yolk. It's, it's a farm implement, an ancient farm implement. You might still see it in Amish country, probably would. But basically, it's, it's a wooden apparatus that goes up over the necks of oxen or donkeys or whatever you're using as a plow animal. And so basically what that is, it's, it's, it, it holds them to the plow and it allows them to then pull and accomplish the work. So it's, the yoke is a, it, it's, it's kind of like a necklace that means you're going to work, okay? So that's what he's talking about here. Take that yoke, my yoke, upon you. So what is Jesus' yoke? What is he talking about? What is he wanting to saddle you with? Friends, Jesus' yoke is the beauty of the gospel, which allows you to face the truth about your failures without letting those failures define you. The gospel, the truth that Jesus came and lived the perfect life we couldn't and died the death we should have, then rose from the grave, and that because of that we are able to be justified by faith alone in his perfect sacrifice, it frees us to think and talk differently about ourselves. It's true, yes, in the flesh I am riddled with frailty, sinful tendencies and weaknesses. But in the spirit, I am strong and more than a conqueror in Christ. You see, when negative identity words are being used by you, either you're thinking them or saying them, or by the accuser of the brethren, that's what the scriptures call Satan in one place, the accuser of the brethren, when negative identity words are being used by either yourself or our enemy, you know that they should be taken captive and cast to the ground because they do not line up with the truth of God's word summarized in the beauty of his gospel. Some of you at times have either said to yourself, you've had this inner monologue, or maybe it's been the enemy accusing you. You've heard this, these words that you are worthless. But the problem with that is the gospel says you are worth the precious blood of Christ. The highest currency that anybody's ever slapped down to pay for anything was when Christ let his precious blood flow down that cross at Calvary. And so your worth is not up for question. Jesus, the king of all, already said it. And so we don't get to guess about it anymore, and Satan has no authority to talk about it. The gospel speaks to your worthiness. Some of you have believed or heard uh, accused against you that you are not loved. Well, friend, the gospel says you are loved so much that God gave everything to have you. You are loved. Some of you have believed the lie that you aren't important. But the gospel teaches that you are a part of the body of Christ if you have come to Jesus by faith. That you have a specific function and purpose that no one will fulfill the way that you could. So when either you or your enemy is saying you're not important, you're not worth anything, you're not loved. These thoughts need to be taken captive because the truth of the gospel pummels those lies into dust. But sometimes we don't take the truth of the gospel and apply it to those things. Sometimes we just let those thoughts run rampant. We let them go long enough that they don't just entertain uh, space in our mind, but then they transfer down to our heart, begin to plant seeds that grow bitter roots that end up leading to all kinds of destruction. And then it takes a long time to pull that stuff out. That's why the Bible instructs us to be disciplined at the level of thought because unchecked thoughts turn into beliefs. And then they become a part of how we actually see the world. 
It causes us to be bitter. It causes us to be deceived. And that leads us into all kinds of trouble. The gospel should be able to short-circuit all of that. The gospel should keep us out of hypercriticism of ourselves. And that's a much more difficult yoke to bear than the one Jesus offers. Living with a hypercritical, unchecked, undisciplined thought life about yourself. And listen, I realize sometimes it's the enemy, sometimes it's yourself. Sometimes you have had ignorant humans say things to you or about you that are contrary to the gospel. But dear friends, I'm just asking, who has the authority to speak at the highest level about what you're worth or whether you're loved or whether you have value or whether you're important? There's a purpose for your life. Who has ultimate authority? Some some person? The enemy of our souls? Our own thoughts? Or God who made us and everything else? Whose word trumps the rest? It's God. And so we should align our thinking and our words with his. Let his word free us from hypercriticism. The gospel should have that effect. It should also keep us out of hypergrace. That does exist. You see, some people maybe live in a very legalistic background, legalistic home, maybe even a legalistic church as they're growing up. And and so they they understand that that hypercriticism and then... Sometimes where they run to, the pendulum swings to the other side, this idea of hyper-grace. The other extreme that I'm talking about is is thinking that because the gospel says you are loved by God and you are justified by faith, that, that means what you do in this life doesn't matter at all. The truth is, you can, it's possible, you can think that you love God, but instead... You can love the idol of unconditional acceptance of your behavior. That's an idol. That's a false God. That you've heard that God is love, and so you've translated your understanding of love, which is unconditional acceptance and tolerance under any conditions, and and you like that idea, and so you end up worshiping a God that actually doesn't exist. It's a false God. It's an idol. and will lead you into damnation just a different way than hypercriticism. The gospel frees us from both. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, we know we won't do that perfectly, but we should want to. We should strive to by his grace. Amen? The yoke of living with the consequences of disobedience to God, all the while thinking he's fine with it, it may seem gentle at first, but in the end, it'll break your neck with its crushing weight. It's no good. Praise God, we don't have to live in either of those. So the first way we're talking about practical application of the fruit of the spirit of gentleness was gentleness with ourselves. I think that's important. It's very important. That's why we went first. The second is gentleness with other believers. We need to be gentle with other believers. I'm going to read you Ephesians 4 here, starting in verse 4. Sorry, I'm going to start in verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, this is Paul, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. That's a phrase that makes me want to snap to attention. Man, he's calling us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, There is one body and one spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, 
and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Amen. Paul says here in Ephesians 4 that whether or not we walk in a manner worthy of the calling of Christ has to do with whether we are humble and gentle and patient with one another. He ties directly whether or not we are walking in a manner worthy of being called after the name of Christ to our patience and gentleness and love towards one another within the household of faith. Let's be honest for a minute, can we? This can be hard. And sometimes people think what it looks like to be gentle and have tolerance and patience uh, after the image of Christ with one another means never having any conflict at all or ever getting angry about anything. And that is not true. I want to read you an excerpt from an article. This is a Christian psychologist. He wrote this, and he's quoting Aristotle. He's, uh, Aristotle stated that gentleness... It's prautes in Greek, is the middle ground between two extremes. According to Aristotle, getting angry without reason is at the end of one extreme. Getting angry without reason and not getting angry at all is at the other end. Given the definition, prautes, or the appropriate display of gentleness, means will demonstrate a response that reflects us getting angry at the right time, in the right measure, for the right reason. And we can assume, as is the nature of the fruit, to demonstrate the right behavior to affect the right outcome. The challenge will be for us to become aware and wise regarding what's the middle ground or gentle response that the person or the situation deserves. It's very interesting. Most of us know the Bible says, has warnings about anger, but oftentimes we don't really get those in the right context. We think sometimes that the Bible says, don't be angry, but the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. It doesn't say don't ever be angry. As a matter of fact, Jesus got angry on many occasions, and he's perfect. Perfect in gentleness, yet there were things that caused him to be angry. What kind of things caused Jesus to be angry? Well, uh, when money changers and hucksters and and charlatans were turning uh, his father's temple into a place where basically folks were being ripped off and using the name of God to try to oppress the poor even further, rob the poor even further, that ticked Jesus off to the point that in one account, he took the time to braid a whip and started swinging it. Okay? So, you know, that's, I like to let people know if, if, when they try to throw the what would Jesus do thing on me, I'm like, hey, braiding a whip is within the realm of possibility. With a look to gentleness and making sure it's the appropriate response. But I'm just saying it's in there. It's on the spectrum. Amen? Not for me, because I'm not Jesus. And I need to be a lot more close to perfect to know, think I have any idea when it's whip time, right? Because <laughs> if left up to me, there'd be a lot more whips, okay? So <laughs> let's just be real about that. All right. Gentleness doesn't mean never dealing with issues among the people of God. It means that when we do, we seek God's wisdom for the appropriate response, not overreacting or being overdramatic. Is anybody in here willing to admit that maybe at some point in your life, maybe one time, you were overdramatic or overreacted? Has anybody ever done that? Here, I won't look. But my hand's in the air. We do that sometimes, don't we? Yeah. 
How do we figure that out? Well, again, that is hard. What is the appropriate response in any given situation? We need the Holy Spirit's help. But one thing that will be kind of a guiding, a compass for us that we can always hold is remembering how gentle Jesus has been with us as he's dealt with all of our sins and shortcomings. It's going to be really helpful when you're navigating the waters of what it looks like, what an appropriate response is, what, what righteous anger looks like, and when conflict does need to be dealt with, what a gentle response looks like. We would, when considering these things, we would also do really good to remember Proverbs 15, verse 1. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And so we, we want to uh, always be seeking, I tell my kids this all the time, they, they come with an argument, whatever it is, I tell them, be a peacemaker. Jesus said, peacemakers are on his team. And that's, I want to I be a peacemaker. And so we go into every conflict, in your marriage, in friendships, in the church, at work. The first thing, when you start feeling yourself being upset and you're trying to judge, okay, what's the appropriate reaction here? Okay, do I throw a stapler? What do I do here, right? What's, what is the right reaction for this? Really, part of what you're trying to gauge is, am I even going to engage with this? Is this just something, did I just get offended for nothing? Am I being dramatic? Maybe I overassumed somebody's motives, and so my anger isn't even justified, so I need to go over, take a drink of water, take a deep breath, and chill out a second. But, but if, you, if you understand that, okay, you know, that's, that's not the case. There, there really is an infraction here. There's an issue. There's a perspective misalignment, or there's an offense that needs to be brought into light, dealt with. And so an appropriate response is going to be to engage with this. One thing we always want to ask ourselves is, what is my goal here? As I'm going to engage with this, what am I going to do? Am I going to just state my case and make sure you know I'm ticked? Am I, is there a sense of self-righteous indignation that I'm, I'm going to, my voice is going to be heard? Or when, by the time you go to open your mouth to, or write the email or whatever it is to, to communicate that there's an issue, have you already ran yourself through the grid of asking, is my point in going any farther into this to be a peacemaker? To make sure that we're not just going to smooth this over and have false peace, but that we're going to actually be able to acknowledge that there's an issue here. And we're going to use the wisdom of God, and by the help of the Spirit of God, we're going to come to a conclusion. Even if we don't necessarily see eye to eye at the end, we can find peace without agreeing on every detail. Whether that's in your marriage, whether that's at your job, whether that's within the household of faith. Don't wade into a conflict without asking yourself, am I doing this to be a peacemaker? Am I, is peace my goal? Because if it's not, your reaction will not be proper. You will be off in, figure, in, in hitting that mark of what gentleness looks like. Uh, man, that helped me. Whew. Amen. I want to be a peacemaker. We should be gentle with ourselves as we walk in the fruit of the Spirit. We should be gentle with other believers we should be gentle with wayward believers, gentle with those who have perhaps wandered from the moorings of their faith. Uh, this is Galatians 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Now, this is something that I have learned the importance of over the years. This is not something I understood definitely intuitively and even 
after many years of studying the Bible and walking with Jesus, this is not something that came real easy for me. I wouldn't say gentleness. You know, I think each person, these fruit of the Spirit, there's probably ones they have more of a natural bend to than others. Um, I am bent 90 degrees away from patience and gentleness in most cases, right? So um, that, that is just, just naturally, that's not, <laughs> that's not how I dealt with things um, before Jesus got a hold of me. I'm so glad he did. But um, it's taken time for me to get this, to understand that with those uh, struggling in sin, gentleness is, is the first and right approach. One example I thought of in, in thinking about this is in a way I dealt with somebody. There's a friend of mine. Uh, that I, and I was probably 19 or 20 at this point, um, and he was sharing with me, he was an older gentleman, he, he may have been in his late 40s at this point, he was sharing with me that uh, you know, he, he had smoked cigarettes for a long time, maybe since he was a teenager, and it was something that he was convicted about, and uh, he thought the Lord was asking him to stop do that, so um, he was working on it, and he, was, he shared with me that uh, <laughs> he was down to one cigarette a day, and before, I think, you know, I don't know if he was a pack or two-pack guy. I don't really know. But he was down to one cigarette a day. And, uh, and he shared that with me with, like, this gleam in his eyes, you know? Like, he was letting me know, I'm, I'm, man, I'm on the train to victory. I'm almost there. And, and my 19 or 20-year-old self, I'm like, well, if you can just smoke one a day, bro, you can smoke none a day. What's up? Just quit. And I just, like, I just watched his face deflate and... That was not a gentle response, nor was it cool. <laughs> um, and that's not a direct <laughs> application to me talking about wayward believers, because I think this was just a conviction thing with him and him and Jesus, something he was working on. He was grounded in, in the faith and connected to God's people, the church, and, and serving Jesus. But this was something that was, was a remnant of, of the flesh for him, an addiction that he wanted rid of, and uh, God was helping him with it. And I <laughs> was a jerk about it, to be quite honest. That wasn't a gentle or encouraging response at all. Um, but by God's grace, on the flip side, I, I've, there's been some situations uh, in the last few years I've dealt with where it was very striking to me, and it taught me some of the importance of gentleness when I was walking through very difficult situations with people where there was very grievous, weighty sins involved, things life-potentially devastating sins and in walking through that process with people and, and coming out the other side, there was hours of counsel, hours of sharing scripture, hours of praying together and, and seeking God's help to walk through these difficult situations. And at the end of it all, the thing that in a couple different situations, the one thing the person said was, thank you for being so gentle in the way you walked through this with me. And, and that stuck to me because I realized... God really helped me do that there, and that, that's what stuck out to them. That's what helped them, is that I didn't come in guns a-blazing. I didn't come in, you know, I didn't bring the big family Bible from home that's hardbound and start smashing them with it. Um, God, by his grace, helped me have the fruit of the Spirit of gentleness, and that reached into their heart and, and, and showed them something of the reality that Jesus wasn't done with them. And still wanted to be in the process of loving them and calling them to himself. And so that, that that was the thing that rose to the top of the heap that they noticed, that it 
that reverberated in my heart and taught me that I need to even more pray for and ask Jesus to help me walk in the fruit of gentleness. Now, in, in talking about those that have seemingly strayed from the faith, sometimes people choosing to rebel against God, they won't recognize gentleness. Sometimes they will demand that you either agree with their choices or else they will label you as harsh and judgmental. That's a really difficult place to be in. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there. Um, feels like in one degree or another I live there. But even when people villainize you and make you out to be the enemy, when you love them enough to call them to repentance while seeking to walk in both grace and truth towards them, we're still called to be gentle. So even when you know you are standing in a place of righteousness, you know you're not judging harshly, but your heart is broken for them and you desire to see them walk in the fullness of all that God has created them for. Your motive is love. You're walking in a righteous way towards them. You're speaking truth and grace. Of course, you're not doing it perfect, but, but man, you're getting as close as you can with Jesus' help and, and you're basically being villainized for that. You're not alone. It happens often. Even when that happens, we don't get to recoil. We don't get to be indignant. We don't get to decide, well, then, then I am going to be harsh with you because obviously gentleness isn't working. So now uh, I'm going to give you what you deserve. And, and here's, well, let me just read this scripture. Second Timothy 2, verses 24 and 25. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. If you're the Lord's bondservant, let me hear you say amen. Okay, good. I'm talking to the right people. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. So now we're not even talking somebody that's just wayward. We're talking about somebody that is pushing back when you're trying to lovingly call them. When you're trying to walk out that scripture in Galatians, it says those of you who are spiritual, those of you that are mature in a spirit of gentleness, seek reconciliation with those that have wandered. Um, that is our call. That is what we are supposed to do. But with gentleness, we're supposed to still be dealing with those in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. That is the deal. Never, ever, ever are we coming to people because we feel righteous and we are offended by what seems to be their unrighteousness and we just want to let them know about it. Always we are joining God in this motivation. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. We are always seeking restoration towards repentance. We are seeking in love to, through the kindness of God and with gentleness to let people know, hey, this prodigal son path you're on, it's leading to destruction. This yoke that you've chosen for yourself, I know it seems light right now, but it's going to break your neck. Cast that off. Repent. Trust in Jesus again. This is the call of the believer. And it really, there isn't any exit clause, I checked, <laughs> where we get to quit being gentle somewhere in the process. Because we're gentle with other believers, we're gentle with those that are struggling in their faith or maybe wandering from the centrality of Jesus being their king. But the reality is, we're also even called to be gentle with unbelievers. And so even if what is discovered as, as that person continues on is, is maybe perhaps um, they looked like a believer, right? Because sometimes that happens. You know, Matthew 25 talks about sheep and goats and they're all mixed up together. 
So sometimes that happens. Sometimes people, um, they look like a sheep, but they might be a goat. And sometimes, man, wolves put on sheepskins and they, they try to come in and eat the sheep. And so these are all things that happen. Uh, these are all possibilities. Um, but at no point is gentleness not in the mix of how we respond to those that are struggling. We are called in the form and in the fashion that Christ was to be gentle. That doesn't mean we are always non-confrontational. That doesn't mean we are tolerant in the way the world sees tolerance. Jesus was incredibly gentle in John 8 when the woman was caught in adultery. They come and try to trick Jesus into either defying Rome or defying God's law. Jesus schools them like he always does and ends up saying, well, whoever is without sin cast the first stone, right? And when everyone drops the stones, what does he say to her? Daughter, where are they? Was there no one left to condemn you? And that's where our culture stops. But he said something else. Now go and sin no more. That's the part that is still gentle and is still right and we need to be willing to say. We need to join Jesus in the first part of that response. Understanding that our own sin, the only reason we aren't in hell today is because grace has been extended to us by Christ. That needs to inform the way we come towards people in dealing with sin. But we need to love people enough to with gentleness tell the truth. Jesus came in grace and truth. And we seek to walk that balance. Well, that's really hard. I know, I told you the whole point of this series is to tell you, you're going to need Jesus to do any of this at all for one second of the day. You can't even breathe right without him, man. You mess that up. Amen. The last thing is that we are called to gentleness with unbelievers. Those that do not yet know Jesus. 1 Peter 3.15, most of you have probably heard this before, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. As a younger man in the faith, I had memorized this verse, I thought, because I remember the part about always being ready to make a defense for the hope that is in you. I could crack that one off all the time. And I really liked apologetics, and I liked reading about the intersection of science and faith, and I, I thought that was great, and I was ready, man. I was ready. So I thought, uh, but you got to have the rest of the verse, yet with gentleness and reverence. Um, there's an example, somebody, I mean, obviously, Jesus being the greatest example, but I've seen in my own life an example of this uh, Pretty, it's pretty vibrant. Um, there is a gentleman that is uh, a part of our weekly outreach downtown uh, to the homeless on Wednesday nights. Um, it's been a faithful part of it for now quite some time. And uh, this, this gentleman would not want me to say his name. He doesn't like attention. But he, he's a mover and a shaker in Cincinnati. Um, I don't know if you know that phrase. Maybe that's an, a weird way to say it. Basically, he's the kind of guy that can make a call and get something done. An influencer. Um, pow powerful in a lot of different ways. A guy that people know who he is, and if he you know, says jump, there's a lot of people that say how high, okay? That kind of guy. And a lot of times when, when somebody has that kind of 
influence and power, what comes with it many times is a brashness and a uh, kind of a lack of concern for how other people feel and, and just an overall, many times, um, unpleasant personality, <laughs> to say it lightly. And uh, I, have, I have watched this specific gentleman and been so convicted and challenged because um, of everybody out there. He's, he's the last person, that, the kind of person he is is not the person you would assume that would be out there in the freezing cold in the winter, uh, going into the places that we go into to serve the people that, that we serve. And yet, it's not even just that, that he does that, but when I watch him interact with people, the way he speaks to them with such respect and gentleness, and the way he, he just loves them and goes, goes beyond to try to accommodate um, and there's, there's such a gap, the way, the, the way society and culture would see, there's such a gap between the person that he's serving at that moment and himself, and, and, and it, he inverts it all the time. And there's, there's such a gentle spirit about it in the way that he speaks to these people. That, uh, and, and, and the whole hope is, in all that we're doing there, that we get a chance to share with him that there is hope in Christ. That yes, right now it might be rough. The situation you're in is, is dismal at best. However, God has not forgotten you. He knows right where you're at. And there's hope right now. And there's hope for eternity because of Jesus. And, and just, <laughs> I, I have much more reason to be gentle than he does. Like in terms of influence and who's, who's got power, you know, I'd be a AAA and he's a D battery, okay? You get the difference? All of you punks from high school like, like to throw D batteries at football games. That's all you're thinking about, but that's not what I'm thinking about. D batteries are real big, lots of power. Triple A's, it's like, eh, you know, whatever. You need three of them to power a flashlight. I need, <laughs> I want to be more like, I want to be as gentle as he is, and I can't even get there half the time. My own nasty attitude. And so, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just being honest and real about how... <laughs> how important gentleness is, how possible it is that no matter where you're at, how you struggle, what your natural makeup is, or even what situation you're in, um, you never graduate out of the call to gentleness. Um, and I'm thankful that that's true. Gentleness and humility, they go, they're tied very closely together. Um, Really, it ties closer to self-control. You could almost preach gentleness and self-control in the same sermon. Um, but we're not. We're going to give self-control its own. That'll be fun. And that's, that's really what 1 Peter 3.15 is saying. It's, it's calling us to that same idea that, that we were talking about before with somebody that might be wayward, might be wandering away from Jesus and from his church. Uh, we don't we don't come at them just with an answer, just with a defense, just with the right thing. It has to come with the, the temperance of gentleness and this reverence, understanding that when we're speaking to an unbeliever, when God opens the door for us to be able to speak to somebody that has not yet recognized how good and wonderful Jesus is, we need to know that at the forefront of what we're doing, gentleness is, is what we lead with. And that's because that's how Jesus did it. That's how Jesus did it when he walked the earth. That's how Jesus has done it with us. 
it matters so much that we don't lose the balance of grace and truth. It's so tempting to just, based on your personality, defer to one or the other. People that are more bent towards grace, they just will skip the part about having an answer and just say, well, you know, God will get them. Hallelujah, right? He'll send someone. When God may very well be asking you to have that answer. Folks that are real ready with an answer might forget to be gracious. They may not understand how important gentleness is in all that we do in the name of Christ. Whether we're speaking with ourselves, <laughs> speaking to other believers, dealing with someone that is struggling with sin, or somebody that has not even yet come to understand how beautiful and wonderful and good Jesus is and how true his gospel is. Gentleness is the way of the master, and thus it must be our way. Praise God. May we be a people who walk in the fruit of gentleness with ourselves, with one another, with the wayward, and with those who do not yet know this Jesus that we love so much. May all this be for his glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you, God, for the spiritual fruit of gentleness. Lord, this comes easier to some of us than others, but all of us need your help with it. None of us are going to walk in this perfectly just out of natural strength or bend. Thank you for the call to gentleness. Thank you that you walked it out first, Lord Jesus, that you haven't called us to something that you didn't first exhibit and give us a beautiful example of. Lord, I ask that you would help all those within the sound of my voice to walk in gentleness towards themselves, not to be hypercritical, not to believe hypercritical thoughts, not to let those things seat themselves in their heart to their destruction. But God, I ask you to set free by the power of your gospel those that are prone to hypercritical beliefs about themselves. Whether those thoughts originate in their own minds and hearts, whether it's the accusation of the enemy or some person, some fool that has spoken negative things towards them, God, I ask you to free them to break the chains of hypercriticism on people. I ask that they would be able to understand, Lord, that you're gentle, your, your yoke is gentle. And may they wear that. May they set that upon their shoulders and experience the freedom of serving you as we were created to. God, please help us within the household of faith to be gentle with one another. Please help us, Lord, not to be quick to be offended. Help us not to be overdramatic. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do as 1 Corinthians says, to believe the best about each other. May, may love between believers cause us to give one another benefit of the doubt. God, help us, heal us from the propensity to assume one another's motives. Adding offense up on top of offense and letting our imaginations run. God, please forgive us for the sins of these things that we oftentimes don't even check ourselves on. Lord, help us, please, to be gentle with one another. We need your help for that. Sometimes it's the closest to us that we're the least gentle with. That's terrible. We need your help, Lord. God, help all of us. Help us to be gentle with those that are wandering, those that are struggling in their faith, those that are being tempted and drawn into sin of various sorts and kinds. God, first of all, help us never to ever sit 
in self-righteous judgment. God, may we understand that all of us, aside from your grace, would spend eternity separated from you. That is what we deserve. It is only because of your mercy that any of us can even have eyes to see and understand what is true and what is not, what is sin and what is obedience to you. It's by your grace and help that we do that. So Lord, please help us not to be cowards with those that are running from you, but God, as we wade into that, as we navigate those waters, help us to also be gentle. This is a difficult balance to strike, Lord, and we confess that we oftentimes get it wrong, but we want to, for your glory, we want to get it right. We need your help to do that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I ask God that you would increase the amount of open doors that people that are a part of this church have to share their faith. God, I ask you to open doors of opportunity for folks to give an answer for the hope that they profess, but God, help us to do it with gentleness and reverence. May our speech be seasoned, Lord, with the salt of your glorious gospel. Help us, please, to walk in love and gentleness towards unbelievers. God, may we never be haughty because we've received grace. Lord, we confess sometimes that happens. Sometimes the simple fact that your mercy's been poured out upon us, we begin to feel better than others. And that is wretched. We confess that sin and we ask you, God, to forgive us of it. And let us not wade back into it. Thank you, Lord, that you've been gentle with us. May we be gentle with all men. We love you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.